Welcome to Hang Your Hat. This is episode 18, The Plan. Work, clubs, sporting events, parent-teacher meetings, doctor's appointments. Sometimes there's so much family business to keep track of, it's a wonder we remember any of it. In this episode, I'm going to discuss some of the ways I have found that help me keep track of everything that is going on in my life and why you are better off doing one thing at a time despite the pressure to multitask. So grab your planner and some color-coded pins and get ready to get it together on this week's episode of Hang Your Hat. My schedule is fairly hectic most of the time. Between working full-time, taking care of two kids, this podcast, my blog, and all of the other things that humans have to do, like eating and sleeping, it's hard for me to keep track of everything. But when school starts back up and my kids' activities multiply exponentially, keeping up with everything becomes nearly impossible. Fortunately, there are several strategies and tools that I have found that help me stay organized and on top of things, and I think they could probably help you too. But before I get started, I just want to remind you that it is okay if things occasionally slip through the cracks. No one is perfect, and life can get in the way of the best laid plans. So if you're having a hard time and just can't seem to get things together, don't be too hard on yourself. The most you can do is your best. The most important thing to realize is that you are never, ever going to remember everything that needs to be done or when it needs to be done. Even things that are really important can be forgotten. So the first thing you have to do to keep everything in order is to write everything down. And I mean everything. There are a lot of ways you can do this. The easiest and cheapest way is to simply write everything down on a piece of paper or in a notebook or journal. If you tend to be a bit analog, this is a great way to go. Small journals are easy to carry around and can hold a surprising amount of information. The drawbacks to this method are that Little slips of paper or even small notebooks are very easy to lose, and then once they are gone, there's no retrieving them, unlike digital devices that can be backed up and restored. Once they're gone, that's it. It can also be difficult to organize different aspects of your life, like work and home, on paper, though dividers and color coding can help. The biggest drawback for me is that notes, to-dos, and appointments written down like this are hard to share with others. And since I want to be able to coordinate my activities with the rest of my family in the easiest way possible, that's a problem for me. I use a combination of electronic calendars and electronic to-do lists that are shared with my family and project planning software, paper notebooks, and a bulletin board. I primarily use the paper notebooks for quickly jotting down notes and organizing fledgling ideas. This podcast is actually an example of that. When I first get an idea for the podcast, it goes into my notebook. Additional ideas are added as they come to me until I have a basic concept for a podcast. Once I'm ready to actually start creating the podcast, I move my ideas into project planning software. In the case of the podcast, I use a program called Scrivener, which allows me to easily gather my research and write up all of my notes for the show. For projects that are more task-oriented, Like many of the DIY or home improvement projects I share on my blog, I use a program called OmniFocus. It allows me to break down my project into multiple tasks or subtasks, each of which can have their own locations, due dates, and more. 
The mobile version of OmniFocus will even remind me about a task I have coming up if I get near a location that a task is associated with. For example, if one of my upcoming projects requires that I buy some plywood, and I have set the location for doing that to my local Home Depot, OmniFocus will remind me to buy plywood when I get close to Home Depot. I also use OmniFocus to keep track of recurring home maintenance tasks that I don't have to do every week, like changing the air filter in my AC. And I use it to keep track of lists that I will use over and over again, like my hurricane preparation to-do list, or my vacation packing list. My family is an Apple family at home. John and I both use iPhones, and the kids have old iPad minis. Since we all have access to Apple products, we use Apple's calendar program iCal to keep track of our appointments, activities, and events. It makes it incredibly easy to share all of our important dates with each other. We can either invite each other to events on our personal calendars, or we can add our events to a shared family calendar that we all have access to. If we were not an Apple family, I think we would probably be using Google calendars. It is also easy to access on most non-Apple devices, and you can share calendars with it as well. I used to use Google calendars before my family went Apple, but it's been a while. So I had to look it up to see what features it had gotten since the last time I'd used it. And it turns out that Google has been doing a lot of improvements on it. I think for my home calendar, it would be my choice over Microsoft Outlook at this point if I were using PCs. Because the Google Calendar has a lot of great features, but it is still much simpler than Outlook, so it would not be difficult for young kids or the technically adverse to use. My family also uses Apple's built-in reminders app for our shared to-do list. Unfortunately, it does not allow you to add someone to a specific to-do item, but you can create shared to-do list. I also like that it has location services, so I can tell it to remind me to do something once I reach a specified location like remind me to water the plants when I get home. It looks like Google's program Keep might be a good alternative for PC and Android users. It also has the ability to share a list and use location services. My favorite thing about using electronic devices to write down all of my to-dos and reminders is that sometimes I actually don't have to write anything down at all. Apple, Google, Windows, and Amazon all have virtual assistants now that can write things down for you, to a greater or lesser extent, so that you don't have to stop what you're doing to take a note. My favorite way to use this is adding things to the grocery list while I'm cooking. I have set up my grocery list to be my default list and reminders. When I'm cooking and realize that I am getting low on some ingredient, I can just tell my phone to add it to the list instead of trying to remember whatever it is days later when I'm writing out my grocery list. But even with all the wonderful tech that can help keep us organized, I think there is still a place for old-fashioned in-your-face paper reminders. Last year, we missed a few activities despite having them in our electronic calendars because we just forgot to check them. So I started printing out the monthly calendar and posting it on the fridge. Every time we went to the fridge, we got a gentle reminder about what was going on for the next week or month. So it was a lot harder to completely forget about something that was coming up. The only downside is that the one on the fridge doesn't automatically update, being paper. So I either have to write in the changes or print out a new copy occasionally. I would love to know what your family does to keep track of everything in your household. There are so many great options out there, and some work better for some families than others do. If you have some great organizational ideas and want to share them, please leave a comment on the hangyourhatpodcast.com website 
and get the conversation started. Once upon a time, there were no cell phones, no email, and no inter-office messaging systems. People were not expected to answer their phones during meetings or answer emails while grocery shopping. To a far greater degree than today, people could focus on the task at hand, the single task at hand, and get things done. Now we constantly have multiple things vying for our attention, and there is an expectation that we will pay attention to all of them at once. Multitasking is a ubiquitous part of everyday life, and it seems like it is the only way we could possibly meet all of the day's demands. But there is a problem with multitasking, and the problem is that we can't actually do it. Only about 2% of the people in the world are able to multitask, meaning that they can actually focus on more than one task at once. The other 98% of us don't actually multitask at all. We do something called task switching, or switch tasking, which is basically quickly switching attention from one task to another. Since we can do this really quickly, it can seem like we are actually focusing on more than one task simultaneously, but we're not. There are a lot of reasons that the brain has to switch tasks rather than focusing on multiple tasks at the same time. One of the reasons is that similar tasks have to compete with each other over the use of the same parts of the brain. Think about trying to write an email while talking on the phone. It's nearly impossible to do both at the same time because they're both trying to use the same language processing part of the brain. It turns out that your brain has such a hard time trying to do this that you can actually see it struggling on an MRI. There is a visible pause in brain activity while the brain attempts to switch between tasks. While multitasking seems super time-saving and efficient, switching back and forth between tasks actually makes doing two tasks simultaneously take more time than they would have if you had done them separately. And it also increases the number of mistakes made. The Potential Project, a group out of Denmark that does mindfulness presentations, has a simple test that you can do that will prove it too. Here's what you do. First, grab a friend with a stopwatch that can time you. Next, write two horizontal lines on a piece of paper. Then with your friend timing you, you write on the first line, I am a great multitasker. And on the second line, write the numbers one through 20 sequentially. Super simple, right? Once you've done that, write two more horizontal lines on a piece of paper. Then with your friend timing you, write the first letter of the sentence on the top line and the first number in the sequence on the bottom line. Alternate from top to bottom, sentence to numbers until the end. Chances are your time on the second task will be at least twice as long as the first task. And you probably made more mistakes and didn't find it as easy to do. Experts estimate that switching between tasks rather than focusing on one task at a time can cause a 40% loss in productivity. 40%! And it's likely to increase the number of errors you make, especially when the tasks you're doing involve a lot of critical thinking. However, productivity losses and increasing errors are only the tip of the iceberg. Trying to multitask introduces a whole host of problems. For one, It messes up your brain chemistry. Multitasking has been found to increase the production of the stress hormone cortisol, 
as well as the fight or flight hormone, adrenaline. It also creates a dopamine addiction feedback loop, effectively rewarding the brain for losing focus and searching for external stimulation. To make matters worse, the prefrontal cortex has a novelty bias, meaning that it likes new things and can easily be distracted by them. What this means is that the part of our brains that we use to stay focused really likes being distracted. Trying to multitask could also hurt your memory. In a 2011 study, researchers at the University of California, San Francisco, found that interrupting one task to focus on another disrupted short-term memory. In their study, they asked participants to study one picture and then suddenly switched to another picture. They found that participants had a hard time remembering the details from the first picture after seeing the second. The effect was especially strong in older participants. Russ Paldrack, a neuroscientist at Stanford, also found that learning stuff while multitasking causes the new information to go to the wrong part of the brain. If students study and watch TV at the same time, for example, the information from their schoolwork goes into the striatum, a region specialized for storing new procedures and skills, not facts and ideas. When the TV is not on, the information goes into the hippocampus, where it is organized and categorized, making it easier to retrieve. In other words, studying while distracted can make it very hard to retrieve the information studied when it's time for that test. Multitasking can also hurt your relationships. A 2012 study by researchers from the University of Essex called Can You Connect With Me Now? found just having a cell phone present during personal conversations, even if the cell phone wasn't being used, was related to lower relationship quality and reduced trust. Clearly, giving your partner some exclusive attention can go a long way in the relationship. Multitasking while eating is also linked to overeating. A 2013 study published by the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition called Eating Attentively, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of the Effective Food Intake, Memory, and Awareness on Eating, found that being distracted during mealtime can prevent your brain from fully processing what you've eaten, making you feel less full. It can even make you more likely to eat again a short time later. It turns out that the key to prevent overeating may be taking the time to focus on your food and enjoy it more. Multitasking is also dangerous, especially when driving. A 2013 study by the Virginia Tech Transportation Institute called The Impact of Handheld and Hands-Free Cell Phone Use on Driving Performance and Safety Critical Event Risk found that using a cell phone or other handheld device while driving led to a three-fold increase in the risk of getting into a crash. So if multitasking is so obviously bad for us, why do we still do it? For one, employers want multitaskers. They want someone who can immediately respond quickly to anything that comes up. While this sounds great, as we have learned, people are really terrible at trying to work on several things simultaneously. Not only does it slow us down, it makes us more error prone. What would be better for employers are employees that are able to focus on multiple tasks throughout the day, focusing on one task at a time. This method would increase productivity by 40% and decrease errors. Another reason that we try to multitask is that distractions are easy and fun. I mean, surely watching the TV while writing that paper will make the time spent on the paper much more enjoyable. And when things get tough at work, why not take a minute to make sure that shirt you wanted to buy is still on sale, 
After all, it will only take a minute. Well, you're wrong here. It is estimated that it takes 20 minutes or more to get back into the flow of what you were working on after being interrupted. And watching that show while writing that paper will just stretch out the time it takes to write the paper. Finally, we multitask because we are bored. You can distract yourself from doing two things that you don't like by doing both of them simultaneously. Or you can distract yourself from something bad or boring by doing something fun simultaneously. Like watching the TV while writing that paper. But then you end up not really enjoying the fun thing either because you couldn't really pay attention to it. In the end, if we want to get something done, the best thing that we can do is focus on it and leave the distractions behind. I have a confession to make. When I first started planning this episode, I knew things were going to be a bit tight. I had planned to publish it right around the time school started back in session. I knew that, what with my kids getting used to the new school schedule, and it being the busiest time of the year at my office since I work in higher education, that I was really going to have to push to get this episode done by my self-imposed two-week deadline. But I had a plan, and a good one, and as long as I stuck to my plan, getting it done shouldn't have been a problem. Then the unexpected occurred. We had a sudden death at my office, the second one this summer and my well-laid plans got a bit sidetracked. And then I got sick, and my plan, my beautiful plan, went completely out the window. So this episode about staying on top of things and getting organized is, in what I consider a beautiful piece of irony, late. So why am I telling you this instead of pretending it didn't happen and hoping you didn't notice? Because all too often, what you see portrayed by lifestyle bloggers, Instagrammers, YouTubers, podcasters, and even friends on Facebook is an idealized version of a normal life where all the everyday struggles are cropped out to make things look perfect. Life is imperfect. No one has it completely together 100% of the time, and that's okay. There is no shame in being a perfectly normal imperfect human being. Thank you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the show and learned some new strategies that will help you stay at the top of your home organization game. If you have some great organization tips or stratagems you want to share, or you have a funny story about how your plans went astray, I would love to hear about it. You can get in touch at hangyourhatpodcast at gmail.com or at hangyourhatpodcast.com. Today's music was by Broke for Free, Andy G. Cohen, Black Ant, Jazar, and Jason Shaw. The Hang Your Hat Podcast is a production of jerukencrafts.com. That's G-E-R-W-E-R-K-E-N crafts.com. You can visit Jerukencrafts for DIY inspiration, home decor, crafts tutorials, and more.